This is the May 24th reading in the One Year Bible Plan, and you are listening to the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. My name is Blake Farley, and I'm super honored that you are joining me on this journey throughout the Bible. And I wonder how your week is going. I don't know about you, um, but I've just had a uh, not-so-good week spiritually, I feel like. I feel like I've just kind of been distant, I've been tired, and... Um, my spirit sometimes feels down, and generally I have to ask myself, what's going on in those types of situations? And I generally find out there's burdens or pain or areas of hurt that uh, I haven't uh, given over to the Lord and allowed that gospel to begin the healing process there. And so it's been a it's been an interesting week for me as uh, we return to God's Word, and I'm going to uh, allow God's Word to come in. I'm going to allow the words of Jesus to speak to me because I believe that gospel has healing for my now and he has healing for your now and whether you've had a good week or a bad week I pray that you would let these words speak to you not just on a mind level but allow them to speak to you on a heart level allow them to renew your spirit with that said let's jump in second Samuel chapter 4 through chapter 6 is our Old Testament reading today chapter 4 verse 1 when Ishobeth, Saul's son, heard about Abner's death at Hebron, he lost all courage, and all Israel became paralyzed with fear. Now, there were two brothers, Banna and Rebekah, who were captains of Ishobeth's raiding parties. They were the sons of Rimmon, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, who lived in Beeroth. The town of Beeroth is now part of Benjamin's territory. Because the original people of Beeroth fled to Gidom, where they still live as foreigners, Saul's sons, Jonathan, had named Mezobeth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. One day, Rechab, sorry, I'm having a hard time with names today. Earlier, I said his name was Rebecca, which I don't know why I saw that. His name is Rechab. One day, Rechab and Banana, <laughs> I'm pretty positive his name's not pronounced Banana, but that's what we're rolling with, B-A-A-N-A-H. You can, you can transition Banana to whatever you want to hear, um, but that's the best I've got, and I'm going to roll with it. The sons of Rimmon from Beeroth went to Ishabeth's house around noon as he was taking his midday rest. The doorkeeper, who had been sifting wheat, became drowsy and fell asleep, so Recab and Banana slipped past her. They went into the house and found Ishobeth sleeping on his bed. They struck and killed him and cut off his head. Then, taking his head with them, they fled across the Jordan Valley through the night. When they arrived at Hebron, they presented Ishobeth's head to David. Look, they exclaimed to the king, here is the head of Ishobeth, the son of your enemy Saul, who tried to kill you. Today the Lord has given my lord, the king, revenge on Saul and his entire family. But David said to Recab and Banana, the Lord who saves me from all my enemies is my witness. Someone once told me, Saul is dead, thinking he was bringing me good news, but I seized and killed him at Ziklag. That's the reward I give him for this news. How much more should I reward evil men who have killed an innocent man in his own house and on his own bed? Shouldn't I hold you responsible for his blood and rid the earth of you? So David ordered his young men to kill him, and they did. They cut off their heads. And feet hung their bodies beside the pool in Hebron. 
they took Ishabeth's head and buried it in Abner's tomb in Hebron. That concludes chapter 4. And we see here, David continues to honor his enemy, Saul, um, because he realizes Saul was placed there by God and, and not himself. So these guys come and they're like, oh, we know, we'll, we'll kill the son of David's most vehement enemy. He's caused David a lot of suffering and David will love us. That's not what they find when they get to David. No, David says, you, you don't take these things into your own hands. You allow God to do what God does, trust in his plan. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord told you, You will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in all. He had reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven years and six months. And from Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33, days, 33 years. David then led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who were living there. The Jebusites taunted David, saying, You'll never get in here. Even the blind and lame could keep you out. For the Jebusites thought they were safe, but David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. On the day of the attack, David said to his troops, I hate those lame and blind Jebusites. Whoever attacks them should strike by going into the city through the water tunnel. That is the origin of the saying, the blind and the lame may not enter the house. So David made the fortress his home, and he called it the city of David. He extended the city, starting at the supporting terraces and working inward. And David became more and more powerful because the Lord God of heaven's armies was with him. Then King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David, along with the cedar timber and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built David a palace. And David realized that the Lord had confirmed him as king over Israel and had blessed his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. After moving from Hebron to Jerusalem, David married more concubines and wives, and they had more sons and daughters. These are the names of David's sons who were born in Jerusalem. Shammu, Shabab, Nathan, Solomon, Iviar, Eleshu, Nephgeg, Japhia, Eleshima, Aladiah, and Alephaphlet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. But David was told they were coming, so he went into the stronghold. The Philistines arrived and spread out across the valley of Rephim. So David asked the Lord, Should I go out and fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied to David, Yes, go ahead. I will certainly hand them over to you. So David went to Baal Perizim and defeated the Philistines there. The Lord did it, David exclaimed. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So he named that place Baal Prezium, which means the Lord who bursts through. The Philistines had abandoned their idols there, so David and his men confiscated them. But after a while, the Philistines returned and again spread out across the valley of Rephium. And again, David asked the Lord what to do. Do not attack them straight on, the Lord replied. Instead, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. When you hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, be on the alert. That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did what the Lord commanded. He struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Baal of Judah to bring back the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Anabeb's house. 
which was on a hill. Uzzah and Aho, Anabab's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. Ahu walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzziah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzziah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzziah died right there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzziah. He named that place Perez Uzziah, which means to burst out against Uzziah, as it is still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's home for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has had because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite, man and woman in the crowd, a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, How distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord, who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. And yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. That's uh, very interesting. Uh, as we conclude our Old Testament reading there, uh, David said, I don't care how foolish I look before the Lord. May we all be that way? Uh, you know, I, I often think, um, and, and, and this goes beyond singing, I think immediately my mind goes to, church services where, you know, I used to be really scared to, to raise my hands. I grew up Baptist and, uh, you know, if you raised your hand in a church service, you were asking a question. And I remember the first time I raised my hands in a worship service and it, you know, it felt like I had 9,000 pounds on my, on my arm as I lifted it, but that's what I felt led to do. And I've grown a lot in that area of my life, uh, being able to express myself and not caring what people think about me, uh, when I'm in worship musically, but there's so much more to it than that in your life. You know, will, will you dance and celebrate? Will you um, metaphorically, you know, give it all before the Lord in worship and not care what people think? Will you talk to that person who nobody else wants to talk to because you don't care what it what it means and it's an act of worship for you? Will you walk away from that job as an act of worship? 
will you be the one to stand up and to speak with honor of somebody when others around you are gossiping without care of what they think, but in worship to the Lord? I pray that we and myself would all look at verse 22 and make that true of ourselves. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. Moving on to the New Testament, John chapter 13, verse 31 through chapter 14, verse 14. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am going to give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should also love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I want to pause there. I'm trying not to pause very much in the gospel reading, but that's a powerful point. Verse 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Christian brother, Christian sister, what proves that we authentically love Jesus? Is it our doctrine? Is it our, um, you know, our, our, our social services into the world? Well, those things are good and those things are, are right. Truly, what proves that we are disciples is the way that we love one another. That we, we should be different when people look at the church. Not the, not the service you go to on Sunday, but the church, the people of God. There should be such an authentic love and peace between us that the rest of the world says, those people, those people have something we don't have. And we can say, yeah, this is what proves that we are disciples of Jesus. Verse 36. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Chapter 14, verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will be always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my father who lives in me and does his work through me. Just as I believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And that concludes our New Testament reading. Moving on to... The Proverbs of the day, Proverbs 15, verses 31 through 32. 
If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. And now we will conclude by reading prayerfully a portion of Psalm 119, verses 17 through 32. We are in the longest psalm in the Bible. Started it yesterday, and we're going to continue it today. Psalm 119, verse 17 through 32. Let's jump in, verse 17. Be good to your servant, that I may live and obey your word. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. I'm only a foreigner in the land. Don't hide your commands from me. I am always overwhelmed with a desire for your regulations. You rebuke the arrogant. Those who wander from your commands are cursed. Don't let them scorn and insult me, for I have obeyed your laws. Even princes sit and speak against me, but I will meditate on your decrees. Your laws please me. They give me wise advice. I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. I told you my plans, and you answered. Now teach me your decrees. Help me understand the meaning of your commands, and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. I have chosen to be faithful. I have determined to live by your regulations. I cling to your laws. Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I will pursue your commands, for you expand my understanding. Yes, Lord. Um, part that really stands out to me personally is where the psalmist here pleads uh, that you might keep him from lying to himself. Lord, I know my wickedness. I know that if it were not for your son Jesus coming and restoring myself, making me brand new, I could lie and deceive myself over and over and over. And yet, Lord, your spirit is in me leads me to truth. It, it gives me a, a pathway to knowing you because you came and you died for that sin, pouring out your blood, atoning for the sins of the world, rising again victoriously, promising new creation, showing new creation, bursting forth. And we await, gloriously await, the day in which, Lord, you make all things right when you come back. The day in which uh, I no longer will have uh, to parse out which parts of me are lying and which parts of me are in line with your spirit. But until then, Lord, I pray that you would help me. Lord, I want to cling to your laws, not because I have to, but because I want to, because I believe they are the laws that lead to life. Lord, I pray that you would renew my trust in you. I pray that you would help anybody listening to my voice repent from their wisdom, turning from their wisdom to your wisdom. Lord, maybe for the first time in their lives, trusting in you or maybe they trusted in you and were baptized 20 years ago. Lord, would you renew that trust today, just as you have renewed mine? I love you, Jesus, and I thank you for today's reading. It is in your name I pray. Amen. Well, today's reading was really good for my soul, as I anticipated it would be. And um, that's what this is all about, letting God's words speak to us where we are. And um, especially that gospel, that good news of what Jesus has done for us, his grace, his mercy, his power, his compassion, and the future hope that he gives us that he will one day return as a glorious king, setting all things right. My friends, trust in that. And I will join you back here tomorrow as we spend another day reading through the Bible together.